Welcome back, everyone. This is Andre from Mental Health, and I'm here with Dr. Tom Insel from MindStrong, um, who's just given the closing keynote here at MindTech 2018, uh, which was fantastic, Tom. Really great. How was it from your perspective? Uh, well, uh, thanks for that uh, endorsement. Um, the title was MindStrong 2028, and I'm not sure... I'm, so, I'm sorry, MindTech 2028. And I'm not sure we're, uh, that I knew quite how to make the bridge between where we are and where we need to be. Um, but I hope it was uh, uh, at least provocative enough to get people thinking about what's, what's missing and what we, the work we still need to do. I, I see us being at a very early stage, as I said in the talk, you know, this, if this is probably a five-act play. We're still very much in Act One, where we're proving out that this is indeed feasible. We still need to demonstrate that the signals and the interventions are valid and effective uh, and then it's going to be another large step to be able to show that um, there's utility here and that this actually can be implemented in clinical practice and that we get uh, changes in population health so we reduce the rate of suicide we reduce the rate of disability we're not anywhere close to that yet and you started off with a great slide that said you know these are four reasons why we're not doing well enough for people living with mental illness tell us about that well, yeah, there are probably many more than four. The four that I tend to focus on when I think about this problem of why we haven't done better over the last three or four decades um, are partly that the diagnostic system is broken. We've got a system that's reliable, but it's not valid. So the, the use of um, doing diagnosis simply through uh, subjective report and symptom report isn't really serving us any, any longer. It's not serving patients for sure. The second is that um, there's a real issue still around us being able to reach the population in need. There are many, many reasons for this, but I think we have to be honest that more than half of the people who could and should benefit from mental health care are not in care. Uh, that's not so true in the rest of medicine. But in this area, um, people are not engaged in what we're offering. The third is that even when they do get engaged, what they find is a system that's terribly fragmented. It's not integrated with healthcare. It's not often um, integrated in any sort of uh, systematic way. It's not really a healthcare system. At best, it's a sick care system that only comes into play when you're in crisis. That's not ideal. And often there's a tremendous delay, even when you're in crisis, before you can get the care that really matters. Those are three of the four. The last, and, and to me, actually, the most substantial is the failure to measure. As I said in the talk, you know, as in business, you know, we don't manage well what we don't measure well. And this is a field that just fails to measure anything objectively. Uh, we like to think that, you know, with the PHQ-9, we've made some sort of a breakthrough. We are doing this very episodically, very unevenly, and there's no evidence that that's capturing a kind of ground truth about how somebody's thinking or feeling. So we have a long way to go if we want to begin to measure really rang true for me. I live with depression and anxiety and type 1 diabetes. And you said, you know, where we are with mental illness now is where we used to be with diabetes before, before we, we measure glucose. Exactly. That's a good way to think about it. So here's the excitement is that with the advent of digital tools like the smartphone and with the opportunity to capture data passively and continuously, we can create objective measures. And those objective measures uh, we're showing are pretty good surrogates for doing the kinds of things that we would do in a laboratory, whether it's measuring some aspect of cognitive function or measuring mood. Um, and to be able to do this ecologically, 
and to do it passively and to do it continuously, not just when somebody shows up in the clinic, but day after day, in the middle of the night as well as the middle of a work day. That's turning out to be incredibly important. Uh, and I do think that with that kind of measurement, we may be able to get better diagnostic categories. Um, I think we can use the phone through peer support and other methods to start to engage the population that's not in care. Uh, I think we can improve the quality of care because we'll have some transparency. We can close some of the gaps so that people get care much earlier, even if it isn't face-to-face. They'll be able to get evidence-based psychological treatments online. And as I've just said, we'll have this measurement, which I think will, for the first time, give us a feedback loop so we'll know in real time whether the interventions we're giving are actually working or not, or even who should get which intervention. So we'll have not only the precision, but we'll have a closed-loop system. Uh, We can call it a learning healthcare system, which we so badly need here. I think those four things together will actually begin to bend the curve in a way we haven't seen in the last four or five decades. So what do you think the challenge is, the digital mental health care challenge for the next 10 years? It's pretty simple. I think there's just two pieces. We have to show that it works. So we have to show the value of this. And, and that's not just a efficacy, but it means that people will engage with it, something we don't think about so much in the world of RCTs. But we have to do both efficacy and engagement. And actually, we have to show that it builds efficiency. That is, that in the care system, it's not creating a burden. It should actually solve a burden. Um, if we can do that, I think we'll have the value proposition proven. Um, that's not easy, but the second part is actually even harder, and that is building this with trust. So having the transparency, the agency, showing that we can protect privacy, all of that will be critical for having public trust in, um, in the digital mental health world. Um, if we get both of those right, and we can empower patients and families with much better data and many better resources Um, I think we can do it. It seems to me that trust is the really hard one, and actually the trust that people living with severe mental illness have in the medical profession and in the state is often really undermined, but particularly with digital technology and particularly with all the bad press we've had around security and privacy. How do you think we can achieve that? Well, it always gets... The trust question has to balance with benefit, so there's always going to be a risk with any technology. The real question is, uh, does it solve a problem for you? Uh, We like to think about what we're working on at MindStrong is creating a digital smoke alarm. And I totally understand that not everybody would want a smoke alarm on their phone. But if your house is burned down, you're much more interested in making sure it doesn't happen a second time. So I, I think you can build trust by showing that you have value and then that you are responsible. You're you're really attending to privacy. You're really providing transparency about what's being collected, how it's collected, where the data go. And most of all, you're giving users full agency. So they can, it's, it's in their hands to decide how it gets used. And I think if you can do that, you can actually achieve and retain trust um, and actually have real value for people. That's what we need. 